and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest edition of the American Awakening. I am your host, Michael Herzog. Now, the title for tonight's broadcast, and by the way, this is being uh, put out on uh, Halloween, Halloween Eve. The title for tonight's broadcast, A Bunch of Dum-Dums Beating the War Drums. But guess what? Tonight, there's what I would consider not good, but actually great news that I'm about to share with the world. A leaked document out of Israeli intelligence has outlined a plan conceived back on October 13th. Now, this is just six days after the start of the Israeli-Hamas conflict. And that plan was to deport 2.4 million Palestinians out of occupied Gaza and into Egypt and beyond. Now, that the plan was evidently endorsed by the Israeli Minister of Intelligence, and her name is uh, Gila Gamliel. Now, I'm going to share with you a recent article out of thecradle.co. The Cradle is an online news magazine covering the uh, geopolitics of West Asia from within that region. And the title of the article is Leaked Israeli Plan to Ethnically Cleanse Gaza. Now, a recent article exposing the document was also printed in the U.S. mainstream ABC News, where I'm sure... uh, a Biden advisor likely saw it, and you'll see why as I continue this. The plan itself advocates the forced transfer of the population of the Gaza Strip to Sinai permanently. That's Sinai, Egypt. And it calls for the international community to be leveraged to assist the move. Israeli culture magazine Mekomet published on the 28th of October, a leaked document issued by Israeli's Ministry of Intelligence recommending the occupation of Gaza and the total transfer of its population, which is 2.3, maybe 2.4 million inhabitants, to Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. Now, the document issued on October 13th identifies a plan to transfer all of the residents of the Gaza Strip to North Sinai as the preferred option among three alternatives regarding the future of the Palestinians in Gaza at the end of the current war between Israel and the uh, Hamas-led Palestinian resistance. The document recommends that Israel evacuate the Gazan population to Sinai during the war. It also recommends they establish tent cities and new cities in northern Sinai to accommodate the deported population. And then create a closed security zone stretching several kilometers inside of Egypt. The deported Palestinians would not be allowed to return to any areas near the Israeli border. Israel's Ministry of Intelligence Deportation Directive outlined the four stages four stages of this as such. Number one, a call on Palestinian civilians to vacate North Gaza and allow for land operations. Number two, the sequential land operations from north to south Gaza. Number three, leaving routes open across Rafah, 
And number four, establishing tent cities in northern Sinai and the construction of cities to resettle Palestinians in Egypt. Now, the existence of the document does not necessarily indicate that its recommendations are being implemented by Israel's security establishment. Well, as I continue to share this with you, you'll find out, I think, that uh, indeed they did act on it. The Ministry of Intelligence, headed by Gila Gamliel of the Likud Party, does not control any of Israel's intelligence agencies, but independently prepares studies and policy papers which are distributed for consideration by the government and its security bodies. However, recent statements by Israeli government officials, as well as the actions by the Israeli army in Gaza, suggest that the plan is indeed being implemented. Since the 7th of October, Israeli officials have repeatedly issued warnings to Palestinians to move to southern Gaza in advance of a looming ground invasion, which up to this date has not happened on any grand scale. Supposedly there's been a couple probes here and there uh, from the reports that I'm getting that uh, <laughs> Israelis have gotten shellacked, but you know, that's neither here nor there because I cannot confirm or deny that. But anyway, there has been pros, but nothing major has happened there. And the reason that it hasn't has been at the behest of the United States government for whatever the reasons, I don't know whether they're stalling for time or whether it's because they're waiting to put all of their carrier strike forces in, in play. Uh, you know, I, it's anybody's guess. But Israel has imposed a total siege on Gaza, cutting off the food, the water, the fuel, and electricity, which, by the way, is a war crime. Uh, <laughs> goes without saying. But the siege combined with intense Israeli bombing that has killed over 8,000 Palestinians that I know of at this point, the majority of those women and children. And it threatens to make Gaza literally uninhabitable. An official at the Ministry of Intelligence confirmed that the 10-page document is authentic, but, get this, was not supposed to reach the media. This uh, was written by the uh, author. This is her last name is Makovit. I don't know what her first name is, but anyway, she noted that it was not supposed to reach the media. It got leaked, folks. And according to the right-wing activists, the document from the Ministry of Intelligence was leaked by a member of the Likud Party. Now, leaking the document was an attempt to find out whether the public in Israel is ready to accept ideas of a transfer from Gaza. The document unequivocally and explicitly recommends carrying out a transfer of civilians from Gaza as the desired outcome of the war. The transfer plan is divided into those phases. The first phase, population in Gaza is forced to move to southern Gaza. A lot of us have heard about that, and then they, they, they bombed the exit, okay, and they, they literally uh, machine-gunned a, a truck with about 40,000 refugees, uh, 40 refugees in it. But the population in Gaza must be forced to move to southern Gaza, while Israeli airstrikes will focus on targets in northern Gaza. Now, did we not already see that happen? In the second phase, the Israeli army's ground entry into Gaza will begin. And I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, at this point, that hasn't happened. Nothing in mass has happened yet, okay? Which will lead to the occupation of the entire strip from north to south and the cleansing of the underground bunkers from the alleged Hamas fighters. Now, this phase has been paused awaiting the arrival of these two U.S. carrier task force groups, along with, two, I've heard 2,000 plus, some have said 4,000 plus U.S. ground troops. At the same time as the Gaza Strip is occupied, the citizens of Gaza will move to Egyptian territory and will be prevented from returning permanently. 
It is important to leave the traffic lanes toward the south usual to allow the evacuation of the civilian populations toward Rafah. This is stated in the document. The document also recommends beginning a dedicated campaign that will, quote, motivate Gazans to agree to the plan, end quote, and make them give up their land. Gee, I wonder if that motivation might be the fact that they are currently carpet bombing and killing men, women, and children in Gaza. You think that might be a motivation? Hmm? I think so. Gazans should be convinced that Allah made sure that you lost this land because of the leadership of Hamas. There is no choice but to move to another place with the help of your Muslim brothers. This is what is cited in that document. Further, the plan states that the government must launch, now I want you to listen closely to this, folks, because this is where it's all, the house of cards starts coming down, okay? Because we have been told all throughout this uh, initial incursion, you know, with all this propaganda coming out on mainstream TV about beheaded babies and, oh, they raped the women and blah, 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 uh, uh, exaggerating the deaths and so forth. I'm not going to go into that right now, but, but let me get back to this. The plan states the government must launch a public relations campaign, i.e. through the media, that will promote the transfer program to Western states in a way that does not promote hostility to Israel or damage its reputation. The deportation of the population from Gaza must be presented as a necessary humanitarian measure to receive international support. Such a deportation could be justified if it will lead to fewer casualties among the civilian population compared to the expected number of casualties if they remain. This again is according to what is specified in this document. Interesting, it must be presented as a necessary humanitarian measure to receive international support. You know, I mean, they mean presenting it to the world as necessary due to their unproven allegations of Hamas beheading for 40 babies and the raping of Israeli women, all of which has been foisted on the world without one scintilla of evidence. Even the White House had to backtrack on the 40 beheaded baby story that was parroted, by the way, in a press conference by Joe Biden after they, the White House admitted that Biden had not seen any photographs of any such thing, though he claimed he did. The document also states that the United States should be leveraged to pressure Egypt to take in the residents of Gaza and to encourage other European countries, and in particular Greece, Spain, and Canada, to help take in and settle the refugees who will be evacuated from Gaza. Now, bear in mind, evacuated never to return. That is like me uplifting you from wherever you live and saying, I'm sorry, you're out of here. You're moving to another state. You can never come back. I'm sure that goes over well with a lot of them. But continuing on here. Finally, the document claims that if the population of Gaza remains, there will be, quote, many Arab deaths. During the expected occupation of Gaza by the Israeli army, and this will damage Israel's international image even more than the deportation of the population. So for all of these reasons, the recommendation of the Ministry of Intelligence is to promote the transfer of all Palestinians in Gaza to Sinai, Egypt, permanently. Well, I've got some really bad news for Benjamin Netanyahu. This document has damaged both his and Israel's international image far more than many Arab deaths, which, by the way, we have already witnessed to the tune of several thousand. This 
leaked document seems to have fallen into the hands of the Biden administration, as there is now a massive backlash. In the halls of leadership throughout most of the Western world, it seems common sense has somehow left the respective building. And the scary part of this was, what's left seems to be a selective international cult of psychopaths who seem to think that supporting an obvious and ongoing genocide in Gaza in retaliation for a surprise incursion into Israel by Hamas, which was a humili—excuse uh, me—a humiliation to Benjamin Netanyahu, obviously, whether it indeed was a surprise or if it was allowed to happen. And by the way, both scenarios are being debated. In either respect, and for whatever the reasons, common sense in this matter was not to be found. Until now. What really happened on that day, and I'm, I'm talking about October 7th, it seems to depend on which news reports you choose to believe. For two solid weeks after the event, Western media reported and regurgitated that Hamas allegedly killed around 1,400 Israeli citizens. And these reports understandably inflamed the emotions worldwide, and it set the stage for justification of the now ongoing and brutal destruction and murder of an innocent civilian population in the Gaza Strip. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you a few excerpts from an article penned on October 24th titled, What Really Happened on the 7th of October? And this is by Robert Inglikesh. Accounts of the Israeli death toll have been filtered and shaped to suggest that a wholesale civilian massacre occurred that day, with babies and children and women the main targets of the terror attack. Remember the story of the 40 babies being beheaded by the brutal Hamas, inhumane, barbarous savages. Well, I want you to keep that in mind as I share this with you. And this is excerpt one out of this article. Now, detailed statistics on the casualties released by none other than the Israeli Daily Haaretz paint a starkly different picture. As of October 23rd, the news outlet has released information on 683 Israelis killed during the Hamas-led offensive, including their names and locations of their deaths on the 7th of October. Now, of these 683, 331 casualties, or 48.4%, have been confirmed to be soldiers and or police officers Many of them female, another 13 are described as rescue service members, and the remaining 339 are ostensibly considered to be civilians. Now, while this list is not comprehensive and only accounts for roughly half of Israel's stated death toll, almost half of those killed in the melee are clearly identified as Israeli combatants. There are also, so far, no recorded deaths. I want to repeat that. There are no recorded deaths, and this is being reported by the Israeli newspaper, no recorded deaths of children under the age of three. Well, what happened to those 40 beheaded babies? Now, this throws into question the Israeli narrative that babies were targeted by Palestinian resistance fighters. Of the 683 total casualties reported thus far, seven of them were between the ages of four and seven, and nine between the ages of 10 and 17. The remaining 667 casualties appear to be adults. Excerpt two. Aviva Klompas, a former speechwriter for the Israeli mission to the UN, was the first Israeli of note to spread the claim that there were reports of Israeli girls being raped and their bodies dragged through the street. She posted this, and I'm talking about Aviva Klampas, she posted this on Twitter, X now, 
at 9.18 p.m. Palestine time on the 7th of October. Although an op-ed Klompa published with Newsweek at 12.28 a.m. Palestinian time on the 8th of October made no mention of any sexual violence. Now, Klompas is also the co-founder of Boundless Israel. Now, this is a think-action tank that works to revitalize Israeli education and takes bold collective action to combat Jew hatred, an unapologetically Zionist charitable group that works to promote Israeli narratives on social media. Hmm, that's a little bit shaded, isn't it? The one case touted as proof of rape was that of a young German-Israeli woman named Shani Lauk, who was filmed face down in the back of a pickup truck and was widely assumed dead. Now, it was unclear whether the fighters filmed with Lauk in the Gaza-bound vehicle were members of Hamas, as they did not sport the uniforms or the insignia of the Al-Qassam troops identifiable with other Hamas videos. And some even wore casual civilian clothing and sandals. But later, her mother claimed to have evidence that her daughter was still alive, but had suffered a severe head wound. Now, this rings true with information that was released by Hamas that indicated that Lauk was being treated for her injuries at an unspecified Gaza hospital. Complicating matters further, on the day these rape allegations arose, the Israelis would not have had access to this information because their armed forces had not yet entered many, if not most, of the areas liberated by the resistance and were engaged in armed clashes with them on multiple fronts. Nevertheless, these rape allegations, uh, the claims took on a life of their own, even with, surprisingly enough, U.S. President Joe Biden alleging during a speech a few days later that Israeli women were raped assaulted, paraded as trophies by Hamas fighters. Now, it is important to note that the Forward's article on the 11th of October reported that the Israeli military acknowledged that they had no evidence of such allegations at that point. When the army later made its own allegations of the decapitations or foot amputations and the rape, Reuters News pointed out that the military personnel overseeing the identification process didn't present any forensic evidence in the form of pictures or medical records. And by the way, to date, there is no credible evidence of these atrocities that has been presented. Other outrageous allegations, such as the story of Hamas beheading the 40 babies, made headlines early on, and the front pages of countless Western news outlets. And even Joe Biden claimed to have seen confirmed photos of terrorists beheading babies. The claims trace back to Israel Reserve settler and soldier David Ben-Zion, who had previously incited violent riots against Palestinians and called for the West Bank town of Hawara to be wiped out. No evidence was ever produced to support these claims, and the White House itself confirmed later that Joe Biden had never seen any such photos. Excerpt 3 There is little to no credible evidence that Palestinian fighters had a plan to or deliberately sought to kill or harm unarmed Israeli civilians on the 7th of October. From the available footage, we witnessed them engaging primarily with armed Israeli forces, accounting for the deaths of hundreds of occupation soldiers, as Qassam Brigade spokesman uh, Abu Abaida made clear on the 12th of October. He said that Al-Aqsa flood operation aimed to destroy the Gaza Division, that's an Israeli army unit on Gaza's borders, which was attacked at 15 different points, followed by attacking 10 further military intervention points. He says, we attacked the Zikim site and several other settlements outside the Gaza Division headquarters. 
Abu Abaydah and other resistance officials claimed that the other key objective of their operation was to take Israeli prisoners that they could later on exchange for the approximately, and by the way, this figure I believe is low. I've heard figures as high as 20,000, but according to this figure, uh, they wanted to create an exchange for the approximately 5,300 Palestinian prisoners that are being held and have been held in Israeli detention centers many times for years, and many of whom are women and children. Hamas deputy head of the political bureau of Saleh al-Arari in an interview after the operation stressed, and I quote, we have a large and qualitative number and senior officers, and all we can say now is that freedom of our prisoners is at the doorstep. So they were under the assumption that they were going to be able to take these hostages and be able to exchange them for these Palestinian prisoners that have been languishing in Israeli prisons for years, some of them. The full article on this is posted on my website, the theamericanawakening.org. Uh, now, from this broadcaster's point of view, talking about myself, taking into consideration a very dangerous decision to launch such an incursion, knowing that uh, such a small number, which was about 1,500 militants, would not be able to defeat the Israeli IDF, it would make sense that this mission would indeed be to grab as many hostages as possible, take them back to Gaza, which they did, and negotiate an exchange for the thousands of Palestinians that Israel has been holding in their prisons for indefinite periods of time. And I find it interesting that these horrific stories about rapes and beheadings bandied about by Israeli IDF and reporters seem not to fit with the testimonies given by hostages released by Hamas. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But first, I'm going to play a, a couple of quick commercials for you folks. Um, and I'll be right back in about two minutes. So stick with me. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It would just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm on to something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. All right, folks, I'm back. And by the way, that commercial with Extendivite, I've, I've taken that product for over a year now, and it's done wonders for me, so I highly recommend it. Anyway, getting back to this. So, like I said, in fact, the, the, the reports by the Israeli IDF doesn't seem to fit with the testimonies given by the hostages released by Hamas. In fact, it's the exact opposite because the hostages released by Hamas claimed that they were treated very respectfully. They were given medical treatment if needed. And one elderly Israeli hostage was filmed shaking hands with her captor at her release. And one of those interviews can be viewed in the article posted on my website, What Really Happened on October 7th. The Israeli government knows this, the, these people were interviewed after their release by Israeli news media, and the Israeli government is, is aware of it. Now, after sharing that, and referring back to the quote out of the leaked document that I shared with you just a few minutes ago, and I quote it again, the deportation of the population from Gaza must be presented as a necessary humanitarian measure to receive international support. 
Their presentments may well justify a necessary humanitarian measure, uh, provided they were true. But their story has fallen apart, and their leaked intelligence document simply puts icing on the proverbial cake. So what was this really about? Had common sense left the building, or was there another agenda at hand? One only has to look at a map on my website, theamericanawakening.org, titled The Greater Expansion of Israel Project, to realize that the West Bank and Gaza are not depicted on it, which should tell you that their plan was to eliminate them both. Now, if you add that to the war crimes committed by the Israeli government thus far in Gaza, well, this is from Mint Press News, recently demonetized and age-restricted, by the way, in its sharing on YouTube of this report by Menar Adley. In the unfolding tragedy in the Middle East, it is imperative to discern the truth behind the narratives. What Israel presents as a conflict with Hamas is, in the eyes of most, an ongoing genocide against the Palestinian people, transpiring in real time. Amidst extensive media coverage of the atrocities in Gaza, an unsettling pattern emerges. Media reports often document Israel's airstrikes on civilian areas, in hospitals and schools and UN shelters, and yet they consistently accompany these accounts with a disclaimer, attributing these actions to a response to the Hamas attacks of October 7th. This narrative not only justifies Israel's collective punishment of Gaza, but also depicts Palestinians as mere collateral damage, Im implying that their lives hold little worth. Now, this soft propaganda being pushed upon billions of people by the media effectively whitewashed Israel's crimes instead of holding it accountable for its wanton breaches of international law. And while the details of October 7th are still shrouded in mystery, Israel's appalling violations of international law have been on display to the entire world. And since you likely won't hear about many of them on mainstream news networks, here are some of the worst war crimes carried out by, the, by Israel since October 7th, 2023. And by the way, when I speak of Israel, I'm talking about the Israeli government. Forget about the people. They have nothing to do with it. It goes on to say, let's not mince words. Israel is committing genocide, and that's according to Article 6 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. Article 6 defines genocide as causing serious bodily injury or mental harm to members of a group or deliberately inflicting conditions of life calculated to bring about a group's physical destruction in whole or in part. And Israeli leaders have not been shy about expressing their intent to destroy the people of Gaza, calling them human am animals. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant announced his government would be cutting off food, water, electricity, and fuel to the 2.3 million civilian population in Gaza. And this nationwide denial of the most basic needs for human survival clearly fits within the Rome Statute's parameters of genocide. Israel also demanded that the more than one million residents of northern Gaza evacuate south, giving them a window of only three hours to complete the journey. If they did not do so, they were told they would face the consequences. Israel then bombed the convoy of fleeing refugees. It also carried out two airstrikes on the Rafah crossing, Gaza's international border with Egypt, to ensure humanitarian supplies would not enter Gaza. The deportation or forcible transfer of a population is an internationally recognized form of genocide. Intentionally directing attacks against civilian objects is also considered a war crime under international law. And in Gaza, hospitals, ambulances, medical workers, journalists, none have been spared in relentless Israeli airstrikes. Multiple hospitals, including the Al-Ahi, the Baptist Hospital, were bombed. Um, Dozens of schools were destroyed, and in many cases were targeted with civilians seeking shelter inside. In fact, more than 20 journalists have been killed during the onslaught. 
And under Article 8 of the Charter of the United Nations, intentionally directing attacks against personnel, installations, material, units, or vehicles involved in a humanitarian assistance or a peacekeeping mission are considered war crimes and explicitly banned. Yet, the United Nations report that Israeli airstrikes have killed 29 of its staff 21 of the 22 UN health facilities in Gaza have been damaged, while an Israeli attack leveled a UN food and supply depot in central Gaza. As a result of the bombing, 14 UN food distribution centers have been forced to close, leaving hundreds of thousands to starve. Intentionally directing attacks against building dedicated to religion, Education, art, science, or charitable purposes is also banned under international law. Yet, Israeli assaults have left 206 schools damaged, 26 mosques and several churches destroyed. The St. Periphas Church, damaged in an Israeli attack, is around 1,000 years old, the third oldest church in the world. As part of its ongoing onslaught in Gaza, Israel has been uh, caught using white phosphorus on civilian areas. The deadly chemical burns skin to the bone and causes extraordinary suffering and a painful death. Its use is highly regulated and banned for use in heavily populated areas um, because it's a weapon of war. International law forbids the use of weapons of a nature to cause superfluous injury or unnecessary suffering or which are inherently indiscriminate in violation of the international law of armed conflict, provided that such weapons, projectiles, and material and methods of warfare are the subject of a comprehensive prohibition. Willful killing is considered a war crime by the International Criminal Court, yet Israeli airstrikes have constantly and willfully targeted civilian areas in Gaza, wiping out entire residential neighborhoods. The Palestinian Health Ministry reported that entire families have been removed from Gaza civil registry. Israel has killed over 5,000 Gazans, 62% of whom were women and children. A clear case of the ICC war crime of willful killing. Article 8 of the ICC's Rome Statute also considers the extensive destruction of property a war crime. Yet, Israeli bombs have left more than one million Gazans homeless or displaced, with little respect for their situation getting any better. Probably the most enduring and widely accepted of Israel's crimes against humanity is one meted out to Palestinians on a daily basis, the crime of apartheid. The entire crisis in Gaza is rooted in Israel's Israel's military occupation of Palestinian land, where it has enforced a two-tiered system where non-Jews are treated as second-class citizens at best. The United Nations, along with multiple human rights groups such as Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and B'Tselem, have all released reports detailing how Israel fits the definition of an apartheid state. Israel is carrying out war crimes every day against the civilian population of Gaza. And while the world looks on in horror, our leaders in Washington, in London, in Brussels, watch uh, approvingly and supply Israel with the weapons needed to commit their slaughter. And our media here in the United States, they continue to whitewash Israel's violation of international law with soft propaganda biased framing and disclaimers that ensure the genocide of unworthy victims continues because, well, it's just too complicated. (sighs) That is, until the White House got wind of the leaked document I just shared with you. Now, folks, I assure you that that document that, that made a whole bunch of people in high places blink, people like Joe Biden, People like Anthony Blinken, people like Jake Sullivan, Victoria Newland, French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, Prime Minister of the UK, Rishi Sunak, and a whole lot more. But there's only one guy who's likely doing a bit more than just blinking. It's likely that right now he's in the midst of a sphincter muscle pucker while he's simultaneously crapping in his pants. And that guy is B.B. Netanyahu, 
and I'll get into more about him in a bit. But first, after the news was digested by Biden, the big guy, here is a recent tweet that Biden put out on X, formerly Twitter. This is an official tweet from Joe Biden from the White House, which states, and I quote, I also spoke with President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, that's the president of Egypt, to share my appreciation for Egypt facilitating the delivery of humanitarian assistance to Gaza. We reaffirmed our commitment to work together and discuss the importance of protecting civilian lives, respect for international humanitarian law, and ensuring that Palestinians are not displaced to Egypt or any other nation. Now there's an about face, folks, if I ever saw one. I wonder if those carrier strike forces are about to do an about face as well. This tweet that I just read you, or now called X, from the official POTUS Twitter account, is likely the result of a severe international backlash inside the Democratic Party here in the United States. It is likely that the pro-Palestinian faction of the Democratic Party, including the squad, you know, uh, uh, AOC and, uh, uh, what's her name, Pre Presley and Elon uh, 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 Omar, you know, all those, along with numerous other leftists, most of which, uh, most of the Democratic Party, caused such an outrage in what they too were witnessing as an ongoing genocide that it caused the United States State Department war hawks like Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken and Victoria Nuland, along with Joe Biden, to blink. And this, along with Biden's support from the Muslim community dropping a whopping 42 points from the inception of this war, well, we, know, we now know how to hit Biden where it hurts. And no, it's not in his wallet. But when he sees his popularity circling the toilet drain, even Joe Biden, as surprising as it may seem, somewhere in his addled brain, there still hides a slight smoldering of common sense, if only to be lit by his rapidly nosediving poll numbers. Now, it will remain to be seen if those dwindling numbers are important enough to throw his buddy, BB, under the bus. Oh, and speaking of BB, he is, uh, he's the one, he obviously acted on the protocols laid out by the leaked intelligence document, and it's highly likely that Daddy, i.e. the United States government, is about to give Bibi a spanking. And I'm sure the red phone is already lighting up with Daddy telling Bibi to back off which then leaves Bibi alone in his leaky little boat with numerous Israeli sharks circling the waters, along with about two billion or so pissed off Muslims. Now, I remind you of an article I alluded to in a previous broadcast out of the Jerusalem Post titled, Israelis blame government for Hamas massacre and say Netanyahu must resign. And it was a poll that was taken. An overwhelming majority, 86% of the respondents, including 79% of the coalition supporters, said that surprise attack from Gaza is a failure of the country's leadership. And it's interesting to note that this article was published the exact same day the infamous leaked document was finalized. But that's not the only school of sharks Bibi is facing. The heat that Bibi uh, has been under in the recent past regarding judicial reforms, benefiting him, of course, pale in comparison to what his own party, with the support uh, of the Israeli people, may foist upon him, considering he has ordered his military to commit massive war crimes on the Palestinian people. And should he survive the bus that Biden may throw him under, the one barreling right behind it may just have a guillotine in the passenger seat. So, that being said, the title of this broadcast that I mentioned to you before is The Dumb Dumbs Beating the War Drum. I want to share a couple of clips with you. Um, and, and, and both of these are Jewish men, okay? The first of which 
uh, is a Jewish man describing his scholastic upbringing in the Israeli school system. I want you to have a listen to this. That being said, I do not stand with Israel at all on what's going on. And I'm finally starting to realize, for lack of a better term, how brainwashed I've been. I was taught to love Israel. I went to Jewish elementary and Jewish high school. And, you know, we're singing the Hatikva, the national anthem. We're singing all these Jewish songs and we're taught this one very specific view of, view of history. We were taught basically that, like, the land was ours. We were taught that, like, well, we tried to offer them a solution. We tried to offer them peace and they kept on attacking us. And the reason why we kept on gaining more and more land was because they would start wars with us and we would defend ourselves and we would just end up with more land. And so we would try and give it back to them every once in a while, but they wouldn't accept it. And now I'm starting to recognize more and more and more, firstly, that the Palestinians are living in, this is the phrase that's being thrown around, an open air prison. 2.2 million people who are being restricted in their food, their water, their electricity, their fuel. Children who are born into a prison who are never going to be able to go and go anywhere and do anything. And this has been going on for 50 to 60 years. And we were taught to resent them. And so, you know, obviously, again, the killing of innocent people by the Palestinians, awful, terrible, inexcusable. And then I watch Israel's response, carpet bombing, this open-air prison with 2.2 million people, they're doing the same thing. I do not stand with Israel. I stand with the Palestinian people. I do not understand how we as Jews can stand by while a nation cries for freedom. They are trapped there. It might not be as explicit as putting them into gas chambers, but it's still genocide. And we talk as Jews in regards to the Holocaust of never again. Is it just never again to us? Or is it never again? Because I thought it meant never again. But we're still being taught this separation and this complete lack of identification of what is happening with these people. Sounds like an intelligent young man, does he not? Now, the second clip I'm going to play for you is another Jewish man that lives in Israel. And this guy is a party member of Netanyahu by the name of Amir Whiteman, and he's being interviewed on Russia Today. Have a listen to this. Pro-Israel Propaganda Lies versus Reality by Ron Unz. Published October 30th, 2023 in the Unz Review. Another week has now passed since the Middle East and the entire world were suddenly upended by the huge raid into Israel by the Hamas militants of Gaza. Okay, my pro-Israel propaganda lies versus reality. My apologies for that, folks. That was the wrong clip, and evidently my producer, uh, um, I don't know whether I sent him the wrong clip or whether he just messed it up. But anyway, basically what it is, is it's a one minute, 29 second rant of a party member of Benjamin Netanyahu going off on the uh, uh, the host of Russia Today that is basically blaming Russia for this and actually making accusation against the host himself in a literally psychopathic rant. And at the end of that rant, uh, he's saying that Russia is going to pay so, you know, the question is, which one of those two Jewish people do you think has any common sense? Somebody who's blaming Russia for a, a Hamas attack, which has nothing to do with Russia, or a young Jewish guy that realizes he's been propagandized all his life and thinking that Palestinians are the enemy, when basically it's the Palestinian land that Israel has gradually taken over since 1947. So, sadly, one is simply a young man who's figured it out. The other is a politician in Netanyahu's party. <laughs> and like I said, what does Russia have to do with Hamas? Is it just me or do you think it's a bit odd as well that this politician in this tiny little country called Israel seems to think that they are stronger than Russia, which is what he foisted against this uh, uh, host on Russia Today? A country, by the way, like I said, that has nothing to do with Hamas. See what I mean by common sense leaving the building? Now, 
One more perspective I'm going to share with you uh, before I end this broadcast today is a recent article by Paul Craig Roberts titled The Israeli-Hamas Conflict is a Continuation of the 9-11 Plot, which, by the way, I do agree with. Uh, and if anybody has done any history on 9-11, you would understand why. But this is not a conspiracy theory. This is the most likely explanation we have of the information at this time. The Hamas October 7th attack on Israel was the opening gun of a plot devised by U.S. neoconservatives and Netanyahu to renew the U.S. attack on Hezbollah's suppliers in behalf of Greater Israel. Remember that map I told you about? Greater Israel is a Zionist belief that Israel compromises the territory from the Nile in Egypt to the Euphrates in Iraq. And the purposes of 9-11 was to launch under the guise of a war on terror the wars that the middle or the American neoconservatives had called for in their publications and that General Wesley Clark told us about uh, against Israel's enemies in the Middle East. And the purpose of Washington's war on terror was to destroy Hezbollah's suppliers, Iraq, Syria, and Iran. Israel and the neoconservatives want these three countries destroyed because they supply Hezbollah with money and weapons that permits Hezbollah to successfully repeal Israel's attempt to occupy southern Lebanon. Israel needs the water resources in southern Lebanon. With the Iraq, Syrian, and Iranian regimes destroyed, avenues are open to greater Israel. In other words, there was never a war on terror. There was a war devised by U.S. neocons against Israel's opponents, and that is precisely what the war on, uh, on Hamas is about. Now, it is impossible to breach the Israeli security barrier without setting off alarms. The plot called for the barrier to be stood down. What most likely happened is this. Israeli agents who have infiltrated Hamas were instructed to sell Hamas on the attack by promising the ability to disable the barrier and surprise the Israelis. Benjamin Netanyahu and the neocons sacrificed Israeli lives for the outrage about Israeli deaths, rapes, and Israeli babies with their heads cut off, and this would gain Israel support for destroying the remnants of Palestine and incorporating all of Palestine into Israel, thus ending any prospect of a two-state solution, and simultaneously settling Netanyahu's legal and political problems by making him a hero who consolidated Palestine under Israel. Unfortunately, those documents I just shared with you are going to do the exact opposite for BB. But the plot has wider aims, which were revealed by the almost instant appearance on the scene of the U.S. aircraft carrier task forces, the 101st Airborne Division, followed by U.S. Marines and Special Forces. Israel, of course, does not need these American forces in order to destroy Gaza. The pundits, reflecting either a lack of imagination or serving a disinformation function, have rationalized the presence of the U.S. forces as a warning and protective buffer between Israel and Hezbollah slash Iran. Now, think about this rationale. If Netanyahu understood that the plot might bring Iran and Hezbollah and even Syria and Iraqi volunteers down on Israel's head, would he have sponsored a plot that initiated war with Hamas? The answer is not unless he and the U.S. neoconservatives want to bring Iran and Hezbollah down on Israel's head. And they do, which is why the U.S. forces are in the area. A Hezbollah attack on Israel gives the neocons, who control the U.S. state and the defense departments and the National Security Council, the excuse they need to finish the real purpose of the war on terror, to destroy Syria and Iran. Iraq was taken out, but Syria and Iran remain in Israel's way. Will this plot succeed? Well, the plot is premised on drawing Hezbollah and Iran into a war. If they are not drawn in and Putin is going, doing his best to prevent them from being drawn in, the U.S. neoconservatives don't have the excuse to widen the war. The neoconservatives would be tempted to go for a false flag that would provide an excuse, but it would be risky and not compare to Hezbollah's troops pouring into Israel and missiles raining down on Israel from Iran. If the neocons use a false flag attack, the result of Putin's efforts will be to take the initiative, the element of surprise, from Iran and Hezbollah, and to give the initiative to the neoconservatives. Thus, Putin's efforts to contain the conflict would turn out to be counterproductive. 
The Israel-Hamas conflict is running into trouble with the U.S. Democrats. Their diversity, multicultural, open border policy has brought Muslims into the U.S. and into the Democratic Party and in members of Congress. And someone is getting through the neocon barrier around Biden, as we can see from Biden's efforts to dampen down the conflict and de delay Israel's invasion of Gaza and warn Israel away from repeating Hamas atrocities. If Biden succeeds in restraining Netanyahu and Putin's succeeds in restraining Iran slash Hezbollah, the, pot, the plot will have to settle for second best. What would second best be? It would be bombing the Gazans out of Gaza into the Sinai Desert into tent cities. Israelis are already talking about this, and in other words, the Gazans who deserve or who survive would become refugees outside of Gaza. And that would only leave a few isolated Palestinian villages in the West Bank, from which the remaining Palestinians would be driven out by the Israeli settlers. So it is possible for Israel to destroy Gaza without invading, which, as matters stand, is the trigger for Iran slash Hezbollah's entry into the conflict. What we don't know is whether Putin can keep Iran or Hezbollah restrained if the consequence is the demise of Gaza and all hope for Palestinians. We also don't know if Biden and the Democrats can prevent the Republicans who are now aligned with the neoconservatives in behalf of Israel from egging on the war. Many Republicans, such as House Speaker Mike Johnson, are evangelicals who worship Israel more than God. Netanyahu and American evangelicals are invoking biblical prophecies to stir Israelis and Americans into eschatological insanity. Biden is discredited, and polls show that his public support is too low to permit his re-election. Donald Trump was recently described by the Israeli newspaper Haaretz as the most pro-Israel president in history. This leaves us with the question, will Putin slash Biden's attempt to contain the conflict prevail? Or will the Republican evangelical neoconservative Netanyahu efforts to widen the conflict prevail? Time will tell. A credible theory considering Paul Craig was the United States Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy under President Ronald Reagan. So I'm sure that he was probably behind closed doors, folks, in a lot of meetings regarding similar issues like Iran-Contra and so forth in the, that happened during the Reagan administration. But the bottom line is this. Based upon the premise of what I just disclosed to you tonight, which was that leaked document that came out, and Biden got wind of it just the other day, which is why he put out that tweet, I can only surmise that the smartest thing that they could do without causing a civil war inside the Democratic party is to tell Benjamin Netanyahu to back off. Unfortunately, when daddy tells little Bibi to back down, Bibi is not going to have a choice. He's going to be sailing around in that leaky little boat with a whole lot of Israeli sharks and about two billion pissed off Muslims with guns pointed at him. But at this point in time, the truth of the matter is that single-handedly, Benjamin Netanyahu Instead of walking away from this, you know, thinking that he's going to be the savior to the Israeli people, he's going to wind up being the exact opposite because there have been multitudes, hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating in the streets. 86% in polls have said they want Netanyahu gone. This man has absolutely, because of his, his decisions, caused the at least the integral destruction of Israel, which, in my mind, will not recover for decades to come. Because this leaked document that shows what exactly what's playing out right now, okay, uh, what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing fits perfectly with the protocols of that leaked document that was put out just the other day, which proves that this was premeditated, which proves that all of this propaganda that had come out about the, the, the beheaded babies and the raped women and so forth was all to try to gen support for the international community to be on the side of Benjamin Netanyahu, to have his back, if you will, while he ordered the the obliteration and the genocide of the Gazan people to be able to take what, the balance of the Gaza Strip. What would be left? The West Bank. And there are, there's also reports of uh, uh, 
Palestinians being murdered in that locale as well. So Benjamin Netanyahu, I would say he has egg all over his face, but it's much worse than that. He's on his way out. And if I had to make a prediction, Israel is going to, at the end of this war, whenever that may be, sooner, hopefully, rather than later, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be gone, and I think we're going to see a complete remaking of Israel. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, folks. Bye for now.